Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. This is Doc Radio to Thrive By. Wow, we are live from the floor of one of one of the most incredible transformative uh, events that I've ever participated in. One the event, and if you want to find out more about this, go to onetheevent.org. Uh, if you would love to donate, please go ahead and do that. Go to the website. You know, this event, this three days and beyond, has been funded by Eric Lawyer, the firefighter in Seattle that had this vision. This is his entire life savings that has gone to this weekend. All of the events here are free. Every webcast that you're seeing and watching are free. This live radio broadcast is free. And you know why? Because this is a calling from the heart. And so if there's uh, anything that I would ask you all to do is please spread the word. Let uh, folks know about tomorrow. Everything tomorrow will be webcast live from Memorial Stadium in Seattle, but worldwide everywhere. Joining me right now is Dr. Ann Taylor. We are going to talk about stimulating the nerve of compassion to move from fear to love. I love that. An east-west approach, an integrated east-west approach. Dr. Ann Taylor joining me here today. Phenomenal. She is the founder of eKundaliniYoga.com. You've got to hear a bit about that. It's a webinar-based company that provides live streaming Kundalini Yoga. And you know what I'm saying is she's going to tell you what this yoga is all about why it's it's so important, how this has changed her life. But she draws from her scientific background to really look at what goes on in the heart. You know, what is every pulse that goes on in our bodies and and our psychology? What does all of that mean? Beyond all of that, she works with clients everywhere to relieve stress and anxiety and depression. She uses this Amazing heart rate variability biofeedback to help people. But more importantly, she makes that heart-to-heart connection with people, everyone that she touches. Uh, Dr. Ann, thank you for joining us here today. Boy, I'll tell you, I'm so great to, grateful to be talking with you right about now. Well, thank you, Dr. Patton. It's just my honor and privilege to be part of such a fantastic event, so thank you. I have got to ask you about the nerve of compassion. And let me just tell you what i got to ask you about it for a minute here. You know, when you, I, I have never heard that term, so let me just start there. In all the years I've been doing radio, this is a first. Nerve of compassion. And the reason that that is, I'm telling you, I'm I'm freaking out a little bit about it. And let me tell you why. Hitting a nerve, just that, you know, you know what I'm saying? It's like you ever have your teeth worked on and they hit a nerve and you know what that feels like? Oh, yeah. You cannot not pay attention to that. So how the heck do we zoom in on hitting that nerve of compassion? Well, the nerve of compassion is actually, it's a physiological nerve. It's the vagus nerve. Mm. And it starts in our brain, and it's a paired nerve, and it, vagus means wanderer in Latin. So it literally wanders through our body. But it touches the major organs, starting with the throat, the heart, the lung, the liver, the spleen, the intestines. It is vitally connected to all of our body, and in Kundalini Yoga, they call it um, Iktara, meaning one star, 
and that it acts as the central tuning string for the whole body from an Eastern perspective that the rest of the body then resonates to when it's healthy. Now, from a science standpoint, the vagus nerve is known to, um, you know, slow down the body. It's the parasympathetic um, portion of the autonomic, and as you know, we're all in stress, 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 overdrive. And it's this nerve of compassion, the vagus nerve, that starts to slow us down. And, um, I mean, it was even on Oprah recently where they were talking about, you know, um, the vagus nerve and how important it is, to, you know, to do good in the world, too, because, it, of course, the heart is the seat of, of compassion, and when we start to open up the heart, um, you know, that's how we move out of fear. But physiologically, we're doing this by stimulating the vagus nerve. Well, i got to get back to something you just said. You know, you said that once we start to open the heart, right, uh, we're able to move away from fear. And, boy, I'll tell you, if that is an interesting conversation that I'm, where you and I are getting ready to have because while if that is the key to moving past fear, it's almost as if we're caught in this chicken and egg conversation around fear versus love. Do we have to release fear? What role does love play? Do we love first? And, and is fear and this dance between fear and love, is this like an ongoing journey, this, this dance that just won't quit? Well, you you certainly have to, you cannot hold the two at the same time. No, you cannot. Thank you. Amen for that. So fear has to be released. And personally, I work on this every day, at least twice too. a day with my practice. You can't just do any kind of spiritual practice or, you know, if you take it from the, the science, which we'll talk about. It's got to be done every day and releasing and letting go of that fear and the love is always there, but we, we block it when we're in fear. So let's talk about how that works now, because you know that's why I love talking with you, Dr. Ann. Dr. Ann Taylor joining me here today. Because, you know, you're going to weave in the physiology of this as well. And so, you know, uh, let's talk about this blocking pattern that goes on. And, you know, and also, if we know this, I, I actually don't think we do know this, but if we do know this, why is it so difficult to move from fear to love? Well, it's hard because when we're in a fear-based mode, our ego is in control Ugh. and or it thinks it's in control. and It's wanting to grasp and do the things it's always done that have worked in the past. We're entering a new era of where things aren't working the way they always worked, you know, and of course 9-11 woke us up to we're in a different world. We're in a different global um, community, economy, and all these things. So we need to really tap into our heart intelligence, uh, which is our, our higher power, our wisdom source, and um, it's not easy to do because we're not trained really to to trust that and to and to let go of our ego and you know give it a rest a little bit. Well, you know, it's really interesting because I made a comment at the end of the last show, and we were talking about fear and love, 
and I made a comment about what the ego's primary function is. And, you know, one of the things that, that I read about and certainly learned about for myself is, you know, one way to look at the e- ego and the job that it has is to always challenge us to feel special. So always look on the outside, you know, to con- this continuing journey for feeling special, very, very special. And, and I, mentioned, I mentioned this because there's a song that I related to a bunch of years ago by Radiohead. The song is called Creep. And the song is all about feeling special but never actually ever getting there. Right. Um, what I found really works good, at least for my ego, is... Um, it's important for us to give it jobs to do, Thank but it, it, it's, it's, it's got to come from the heart center. We can't get anywhere, actually, without our ego. We don't want to get rid of it, but we want it to kind of get and fall in line with the heart so that, you know, the heart and the heart wisdom, the higher self, can really, who really runs the show anyway, can really give the directions that need to be done for us, for our intuition, and the ego says, okay, I get to help. You know, it's just like a little kid in the kitchen. You, know, you could yell at the kid, and or you could say, here, here's a job for you to do, and it's very important. And, um, you know, that seems to work for me anyway. Well, let's talk about, you know, why it's important uh, to see this nerve of compassion and how to use it to get us to move from fear to love. Okay, that's a great question because when I teach meditation um, to to people, and and when I was first learning myself, and I've had quite a bit of practice now, it it seems to me that people don't know when they're really in a meditative state. The mind can wander, and it does it does what it does. But by using heart rate variability, it's a it's a biofeedback device. I, I think it's really really important, um, and I find if I hook up people beforehand. So and then there's like a light indicator, so you can see when you're in the zone. And in the zone simply means your sympathetic and parasympathetic systems are balanced. And it, it can get a little bit technical, so I'll try to make it as straightforward as I am. When we're stressed, our sympathetic nervous system is in high drive, and you'll get a red light. And then when we become in a more coherent state, you know, we get a green light, or there's graphs. There's different ways to do it. And so you can kind of you can teach yourself what it feels like, like to be in a meditative state. And you go, oh, that's what it is. That's what it is. And eventually, you you know, you do it without the device, and you just go into your practice. But it really allows a deepening. And it, because we are Western-minded people for the most part in this country, you know, we like to to see the proof. Okay, if I do this, I get this result. You know, I know I'm being effective meditating. Because, uh, you know, without, without something, I mean, it could take years and years of practice. But this just gives you an immediate, okay, I'm there, and um, just keep doing what I'm doing. You know, um, I've had a lot of conversations. Where, of course, you know, we're doing live broadcasting all weekend. I, I announced that it was like something like 22 hours. It's more like 30 hours of live broadcasting. Tomorrow, many of the hosts are going to be filling in for me when I will be live from Memorial Stadium in Seattle Center, um, par- participating in the event. And, you know, I was, I'm so struck by the many voices that have been heard here, not just in this show, but all of the people, and that have shown up on site, you know, the participants, um, 
the people that have shown up on the webcasts, all of you listening to the show, you are amazing. I mean, you are really the shining light. You are what I call, you know, the willing heart. What role does the collective play, Anne, in helping that shift? Well, that's that's a beautiful question, and uh, and what I what I really firmly believe is, you know, part of the reason you know we should do a meditative not should, but it's great to do a meditative practice, is because then we can tune into like the higher frequencies of the collective and help raise the whole thing up a notch ourselves. Every individual can contribute to raising the consciousness of the collective whole. And that's how we, and that's how it's going to happen. One person at a time, one heart opening at a time collectively brings everybody up. Mm. Mm. What are, what are some of the challenges we have in, in making this transition as individuals first? Let's start there. Well, as individuals, there's a lot of people really struggling, um, certainly with the economy, mm-hmm. with relationships, mm-hmm. with all, all kinds of things um, going on in the world. And by, by tapping into our, our heart wisdom and really getting in line with, with, our, with our value system, with the things that are most important to us, you know, I think sometimes we have to actually make some tough choices about what's working and not working in our lives. Um, that is really something to face. It takes courage to become conscious as individuals. It's um, it, it's not always the easiest thing. Choices sometimes have to be made. But mm. I think to live an authentic life means to live from the heart center in accordance with whom we really are, not what society tells us we should be wanting, which is so easy to fall into the trap you know, getting on the cycle of, you know, needing more and more and more or whatever. Um, you know, and also I guess I, I'm just very moved. I, I just really would love to bring some of this work into the schools because that really weighs heavy in my heart what's happening in the public school systems. And I was just teaching at the yoga symposium last weekend and heard statistics that just blew me away about dropout rates in high schools mm. in urban cities approaching 50%. I mean, I mean, I knew it was bad, but uh, so the challenges are, are all around us uh, that are, um, they're large, but I really believe that every individual can contribute um, in their own way and helping to turn things around. You know, it's so interesting that you bring that up. And there have been many, many conversations. Bill Gates, you know, I live in Seattle, so we know who Bill Gates is. And we know about, you know, Bill Gates, for those of you that don't know, is associated with a pretty significant company called Microsoft. And um, uh, he and his wife are huge advocates for education, contemporary, modernizing, so forth and so on. So when you bring up the question of urban, having grown up in the streets in New York, uh, graduating, gradu- no, you don't graduate from PS 101, you know, right? You know what I'm saying? Or uh, a PS 14, junior high school 101. I don't think you graduate from that. I don't even know what you call that anymore. But you're bringing up a, a, something very, very controversial. Because if the challenge right now in this country is to provide 
the greatest level of education and the world is being built on technology. For example, if you were to walk into a school in Japan, it would be very different than walking into a school in Hunts Point in the Bronx, you see. Right. It could be very different than that. Or a school in Alabama. Uh, because of the value they put on that. So, you know, what you're presenting is a very sad story to me because I know what it's like to fight for your education. You know, I didn't wake up one day and go to go to, go to get a graduate degree and a doctorate. I honestly have. I barely graduated high school. Um, so, so this is this is this is heartbreaking for me to know this. In an right. enormous country with so much prosperity. Right. And, you know, the, a, lot of, a lot of children, a lot of young adults, you know, they've got so many problems at home that sometimes I don't think the parents really, you know, maybe the parents want to help, but I think that there's a lot of overwhelm in our society. People are just overwhelmed. And, you know, part of my mission and, and pretty much what I've devoted my whole life to now is finding ways to open people's hearts. And, and, you know, maybe getting to, into the schools will be one avenue because I, I really believe that, you know, 15 to 30 minutes a day in the, in the public schools of teaching them, teaching the children mindfulness yep. will make inroads of really turning things around. It, I mean, it may sound simple and oversimplistic, but it's a start in the right direction. You know, and let me just comment on that if I might. You know, some of the simplest ideas are some of the most profound. Right. Some of the simple, I mean, look at it. Simple idea, Facebook. Let's get people connected at a university. Let's get them all connected so that they can get to know each other. Simple idea, right? right. Look at that, you know, look at how, how that thing that we call Facebook has literally uh, created this now mega concept called social media. Right, and and if people can just get a glimpse of what it feels like to connect to their heart center, yes, exactly. that may be all they need to be on their way into the transforming their lives. I agree. You know, I I love what you're saying because you know you're really bringing up something that's so talk about the nerve of compassion. You just hit it for me. You know, I had a viola teacher when I was in junior high school. I happened to have the opportunity to learn how to play that instrument at, at a young age. Uh, I was very fortunate to have someone that saw something in me. My life has been filled in with people that have seen things in me that I didn't see in myself. Right, we have teachers that are too busy. Right. Class size is too enormous. And so the work that you're talking about lets the door be open so that you can walk in there, and with your work, and help these young people learn to love themselves first. Right. And, you know, as you're talking about technology, I just have to get, get this in as far as the nerve of compassion, what the uh, Western model is doing. And, and believe me, I love science, so I'm not, I'm not doing any science bashing here. But in 2005, the FDA... Uh, approved a device called the vagus nerve stimulator, which is an implantable device, and it, it, so it goes inside the body, and the little electrode wraps onto the vagus nerve, and it stimulates it. Now, this was originally developed to help epilepsy, 
but they noticed, by the way, oh, by the way, people who had been suffering depression and who were, had epilepsy were responding to, the, they weren't depressed anymore. Not everybody, but it was significant enough they started doing studies on this. Now, they don't know why. In fact, the Mayo Clinic reported they don't really know why it works, but they know it works well enough. So it, what I'm saying is, you know, why wait until you need to have this device implanted into your body when we can stimulate the vagus nerve through breathing techniques, yoga, which I can right. prove by the heart rate variability, what it's doing. And you have created a way for people to get this uh, experience worldwide. Let's talk real quick here in the last minute or so we have about okay. your online uh, community that you're building. Because, you know, you're not somebody just sitting here talking about it. You've actually done something about this. Right. You know, my mission right now is to get yoga, meditation, and, and even the heart um, rate variability bio feedback online and, you know, in it relatively as inexpensive I can get it so that people, it can be um, broadcast to people live streaming wherever they are. Not everybody is going to walk into a yoga studio. I mean, not everybody feels good about their body. Some people are just too darn busy. And um, this way, they can do it in the privacy of their, their own home. They don't have to worry about what they look like in the, in the postures or that, you know, they can, they can really pace themselves without having to compare themselves to anybody else because that's not what it's about. Let's give out your website, Anne. I, I just want everybody to know uh, about what you're doing. Thank you. Uh, yes, my website is Anne, Anne with an E, Taylor.com. That's the easiest one to remember, AnnTaylor.com. Thank you, AnnTaylor.com. Thank you, Dr. Ann, as I should say. I love what you're doing. You are giving all of us an opportunity to begin to open the heart and step forth in the most amazing way we possibly can. Your work is amazing. Thank you, Dr. Ann. Thank you, and thank you for all you do, Dr. Pat. All right, everyone. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, dare to be loved. Staying open to love even when it's scary, hard, and uncomfortable. With Christine Arilo and Noah Martin. You know, how are these topics coming up? I think they're all, I know, Heather. This must be a topic I'm meant to hear, don't you think? It's just meant to be. It's just meant to be. Let's take a short break, everybody. We'll be right back. (laughs) Take time to realize that I am on your side. Gonna be that soon 